This is the Negro League Podcast with Preach Jacobs. Podcast. I go by the name of Preach Jacobs. We are sponsored by Mo Better Soul Clothing. Go to MoBetterSoul.com. Whatever. <laughs> you got you've got that down. Yeah, I don't Good care. job. I don't even care anymore. Good job. No, hey, that's awesome. I don't even care anymore. Good job. Um, so yeah, uh it's it's really cool when you have friends that are worried about you. Shout out to everybody. Uh, this is we're recording this uh, on Wednesday, the day after Election Day, um, which I told people that it might not be Election Day, it might be Election Week or Election Month. Election Lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I've had a bunch of people worried about me because they've been seeing my posts where I basically like, man, fuck everything, fuck all this shit. I'm drinking. Um, <laughs> and so it's dope to have a homie uh, decide to drive two and a half hours to go see me. Once again, we are met by the homie, collaborator, friend, and brother, Juan Holiday. What's going on, man? Hey, it's no big deal to come down here. It's, I mean, it's a, it is a big deal, mm-hmm. but it's also no big deal because I just drove across the country with my sister. I drove both ways to Utah. And Utah from where? Tell people from where. From Asheville, North Carolina. Oh. And uh, this on the way there, I took three days. I actually, honestly, unfortunately, saw somebody get shot in oh, a parking lot. Hold, hold on, okay. Hold on. <laughs> you you buried on. the lead. We've, Wait, been hang, we've been hanging and drinking all day <laughs> Just long. Just a minute. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. So, 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 so what happened? <laughs> Wait, hold on. And then, uh, and that was on the way there. I no. saw someone get shot on the way back. Me, my sister, and I drove uh, twenty-eight hours straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, um. Taking turns sleeping in the back on the mattress in the in the van. I got a van, and and driving, and we made it. Okay, all and right, now good. Back. I'm glad y'all got saved. <laughs> What's up with the person that got shot? So my whole point was coming down here two and a half hours is no big deal after yeah, doing yeah, 28 yeah, hours, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. So, the person that got shot. <laughs> so yeah, and unfortunately, um, when I was on the way out to Utah back in let's see what what was what was this September. Mm. Well, no, 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 October, it must have been October 15th, mm-hmm. sometime around 9 p.m., I was in a rest area in Kentucky, mm-hmm. and I woke up, I was sleeping, mm-hmm. and I, I was pretty much, the whole time I drove out, I was just like, whenever I get tired, even if I get a little bit tired, mm-hmm. I'm just going to go to sleep, sleep for half an hour, an mm-hmm. hour, whatever it, what, whatever it takes to get me to point where I want to drive again, mm-hmm. I'll drive as long as I want until I get tired, and I'll sleep again, mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to push myself beyond that, so... I was in a rest area in Kentucky, and I woke up after having been asleep for maybe two or three hours. I woke up to an officer with his uh, gun out, what? yelling, and I woke up to that, and it was right behind my van. It looked like, when I woke up, I thought, okay, somehow, in my sleep, mm-hmm. I, you know violated some law or triggered some police officer and am now going to have to extricate myself from some weird situation or possibly get shot. Mm. I literally had that, you know, train of thought go through my mind of like, okay, I'm going to have to 
what's it called? De-escalate yeah, this situation yeah, here. Exactly. Uh, but then I quickly realized that the cop was talking to somebody who was next to me in a car that had parked right next to me, telling him to get out of the car. And before the guy could completely get out of the car, or at least completely turn around toward the police officer as he was getting out, uh, the police officer pulled the trigger. I heard a pop. It, oh it was gosh. very. It, 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 it was surreal how uneventful it was. Like the pop was so. It wasn't even that loud, because it was outside my car. It was this weird. It was a weird sound. It was a surreal sound. But anyways, it was the sound of a firearm being discharged and uh, the the um, the civilian was hit in the arm, mm-hmm. and he started to cry and and make you know he started to. He started to make noise after he got shot. Um, it was really interesting to hear the whole thing, the whole thing. And then the, I heard the conversation between the officer and the the shooting victim as the officer um, put a tourniquet on the guy's arm. All right, just just making a just was it a white guy? <laughs> yeah, it was two white guys. Okay, and so <laughs> yeah, so so. There's a there's a level of like civility that cops would have with like white folks that is really interesting. Which is also, I used to do the crime blotter here in yeah. South Carolina. I used to, I've, I've written a crime blotter here for like 15 years before they stopped me from doing it. I was interviewed by NPR for the Criminal Podcast to wow. talk about yeah the connective tissue. Between, I didn't know that. Yeah, they haven't put it out yet. But yeah, the what? Criminal Podcast. Are where, they gonna put it out? They should. They better. But they were reaching out to people across the nation that were uh, the most famous or popular crime blotter writers, and I've been doing it for 15 years. And you, so, you need to talk to your publicist. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to talk to you. I don't have a publicist. But, <laughs> okay, but, who do I got to call? <laughs> but, um, but, no, for but, real, who do I got to call? Uh, we'll figure it out. Okay. But, but we okay. talked about, like, I could read, because when I would put the, the crimes in the blotter, we couldn't write race. We couldn't write, you know, specific yeah. locations and stuff like that. Guess what race it yeah. is. But, like, I could read the police report, and the police report would have the races on it. But I could read the police report without looking at the race and tell what color the people were. So, Like with, like, 100% accuracy? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, so, so, so if I'm reading <laughs> a story sad. about, if I'm reading a story about um, an officer pulled his gun and there was somebody that were driving their car towards the officer like they were going to hit him, and then a person survived the, orde- the ordeal, I knew they were white. You knew they were white? Yeah. I, I mean, you know, like, like. Like, you know, just just what happened a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week ago in, in Philadelphia where there was a cop shooting and, you know, there was a man with a knife and he was shot over 10 times. And the question always goes to why y'all had to kill him, because the rea- the reality of it is I took a Citizens Police Academy class here and they talk about the steps that they would take before they would pull a gun out. Theoretically. Yeah. Right. It's like it's like verbal commands, hand commands, stun gun. You know your taser. Yeah. Then maybe pull the gun out to to injure. So as soon as you say somebody was shot in the motherfucking arm and the officer was pulling out a tourniquet, I was like, yeah, they're not black. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. So not the one up you. Your your, your your guy didn't die. He actually had a conversation with the cop. Did I tell you about the incident that I had here at my place that we're recording at now? What? Okay. This is an interesting story. So maybe about a month or two ago. I'm in here packaging up my records. You didn't get shot. I didn't get shot, thankfully. Okay. Um, no, you would have heard about that shit. I would have been. <laughs> <laughs> We've been milking that shit. So anyways, um, I'm, I hear like all these sirens that are loud as fuck 
um, outside my house and you see these big windows right here and it got louder and louder and louder and louder and louder. And I finally looked out. I think you did tell me about this. Well, I don't think I talked about it on the pod, so I'll bring it up here. Okay. Where I look out the window, there's an ambulance and there's a fire truck. And right beside my building where I'm at, my apartment, there's like a little walkway where we walk to do our laundry or whatever. So I come outside and me and my neighbor, which is interesting enough, my neighbor and I, we never have any conversations. We never talk. It's a young, younger white girl. We go outside and it's just chaos. It's just like a huge fire truck, huge ambulance. And I text my landlord. I'm like, yo. Uh, something's going on. I don't know what's going on. There's an ambulance here. There's a fire truck here. And he was just like, well, text me if I need to show up. So this little walkway, um, the fire guy, fire truck guy, <laughs> firefighter, fireman, whatever, <laughs> walks down the walkway. He's there for a few minutes and he walks back out, gets in the fire truck and drives off. Doesn't say a word. Then the EMS guy pulls out a stretcher, goes down this little walkway, comes back with nothing on the stretcher. And nobody says a word to us. And I'm looking at my neighbor. I'm like, I don't know what the fuck is going on. So I run back in my house, look out my window in my bedroom, and the little walkway leading to another apartment. How about my neighbor, when he got done doing his laundry, slipped and fell and hit his neck on his dirty clothes hamper. Oh, my God. And broke his neck and died. That's that's how it and what And I remember you texting me this, and I forget what I said, but I remember it being something very almost... It's like, just, are you going to do your laundry now? Like, something, there was something. <laughs> it was that, something very callous. It, it was something. And I was just no, like, it, I think it was something like, I'm never going to do my laundry again. Something <laughs> like that. Well, 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 check it out now. And I can Jeez. show you. I can show you with my hand. Like, if this is this guy's neck, it was like this ah, on the laundry basket. Wow. Like, completely. Like, it should not have been that bent. It was like 90 degree angles. And, and, and I'm going to tell you what happened to me. angle. What happened to me psychologically. I looked at that. And I'm still Jeez. looking. I'm looking at his dead body because it's right outside my yeah. window. And I'm like. Maybe he's gonna survive. Maybe something's you know. no. As soon as the EMS worker came and put the blanket on him, nope. That finality just fucked with me. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. you just you just feel that shit in your stomach. And, yeah, and, and it it kind of created a bond between my neighbor and I because I was just like I never talked to this woman. She never talked to me, and I and I told her about it, and she looked, and and I'm like, look, I got two beers in the fridge. Let's sit on the stoop and drink. <laughs> you know? Did, did and, you? Yeah, we sat out and we Good. drunk and. and and, you know, I hit the landlord up who was basically like, let me know if I need to come. I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, I think you need to show up. Yeah. <laughs> right. well, why don't you call her up right now? No, I'm not going to do that. I'm just no, playing. I don't think she's here. I'm just playing. But, but uh, no, you're not. But, um, <laughs> but nah, it was it was just a a, a sobering situation, man, because, like, you got to see the process when the, the cops had to come, the oh, coroner man. had to come, they had to pull the body out. It was all of this yeah. stuff, you know. That's, that's the part that I do not envy cops, you know, and and – firefighters and first responders because i know that that does wear on your soul when you see you know i think part of the reason why maybe police officers do get corrupt is because they see so much you know it darkens their it darkens their hearts you see people die you see you know you see so much you have so many opportunities it's kind of like being maybe being really famously like a really successful musician it's like if you have so many opportunities to be an asshole mm-hmm. eventually you're going to start taking these opportunities yeah right yeah you you desensitize towards it and yeah. and sometimes i think you know even what we're talking about like today with it being the day after election day i don't want to be in a situation where all this terrible shit is going on is normalized for me you know what i mean and yeah, i think sometimes it darkens your heart yeah we have to take or ourselves whatever out you want to say however you, you want to say it we it, have it to pull ourselves out of corrupts it your it's, heart it's easy to do yeah you, you know what i mean well that's why i came down today because i just felt like you know 
you know, like what's the revert? What's the rev- what's the best at this point? Life is becoming is very clear onto like what choice to make. It's like what do I care about the most and what do I want to do the most. Mm-hmm. Those two things when they intersect and I happen, you know, and that's also like, well, I, ha- I have fake. I have vacation time I can take off. I need to come down here and see you. We've been waiting for this to happen for so long. Mm-hmm. And it's, I always show up like without having that much time. And it's like, you know what? I, I owe this to myself to come down here and see you. Well, I appreciate it. And, and the timing was great because I totally forgot about it. And like, you know, I'm, I'm in this situation where I have to do a bunch of like editorials and column work and, I have deadlines, you know, because as soon as something happens, you're like, okay, you got to write about it. And yeah. I was supposed to write about it last night, but I'm like, maybe there's a going to be a decision for the presidential race. And I ended up falling asleep at 4 a.m. and nothing happened. So, you know, <laughs> you wake up kind of with that pressure of, I had the pressure of writing something right now that I just now experienced, and I have to figure out a way to be poignant about it. And there's a pressure that happens, especially, I think, with, with a lot of black writers where they have to, I think, for the sake of, uh, you know, society at large, we get looked at to kind of uh, put things in that optimistic box for folks, right? I, sure. I never forget. Sure. I never forget when Trump got elected the first time, and I say the first time. Hopefully, it won't be a second time. But when he got elected, I remember Tani Hashi Coates was on. Um, who? Tani Hashi Coates, who wrote the the beautiful struggle. Okay. Eight years when we were power. Also, that book right there. You see that that the the the, the, the water, water dancer. dancer? Yeah. Yeah. Coates. Yeah. Okay, I've heard of this person. Yeah, yeah. he's he's an incredible, amazing writer. I have two copies of. Did the he new... write something else called? Uh, shoot, what was it? There was something that I wanted to send you, but then I saw you post about it. You already had it. It was, anyways. I'll, I'll think of it. Well, it might have been if it's if it's an, a non-book. He was the he was the editor for this uh, Vanity Fair cover with Breonna Taylor on it. Okay. Um, and he wrote some amazing stuff for that. And I have two copies of it. I'll give you one. But um. You know, thank you. Uh, he was he was on Colbert, and Colbert was kind of asking him was like, you know, and it was really funny because I don't think Colbert meant anything by it, but he was basically like, you know, do you have any optimistic things to say for us <laughs> or whatever? Any words yeah. of hope? And he was like, no. nah. No. <laughs> he was like, no, no, no I ain't got shit time. for you. I ain't yeah. got nothing for you. And yep. and a lot of times when you have to speak on these things immediately, that's the pressure, right? Where you feel well, you like you got to get beyond your emo the the. It's it's asking you to get beyond your emotions, but like you're really in them right now. That's how I feel like every time there's like um, you know, George Floyd got murdered by the cops or anybody anybody else has happened over the summer, there's always a relative that's related to the person that was killed by the cops that, that becomes this voice of the community, right? Like like Trayvon's Martin Trayvon Martin's mom, mom yeah. had to speak and she wrote a book and, and it's like I can't imagine going through something that's like gut wrenching for your family to lose a loved one in, in, in a violent way. And then all of a sudden you have to be poised enough to be on microphones and in front of people and hold your shit together to talk yeah. about it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and so I think that becomes a pressure that's just like insane that I don't think we think about. Right. It's like it's like. I remember uh, and I've had conversations about this before, about Charleston nine and about like, you know, and I have personal feelings about this, but I can't disrespect how they felt about it, where when Dylan Roof murdered nine people in Charleston and you have the family in court immediately after telling, like, oh, I forgive you. And and yeah. I have my I have my own internal issues with that, but 
that type of thing where something violent happens to your family and public starts asking you, do you forgive the person that murdered your aunt, that murdered your mom, that murdered your sister? Like, that's a weird situation to be in, you know? Yeah, I mean, but personally, if I was in that situation, I would probably, I mean, I would probably be like, yeah, I forgive them, but, you know, they need to go to jail or whatever, you know, like, yeah, I forgive this person. Like, I'm not gonna, I mean, I'm sure it's really, really incredibly hard. I remember when I got, when I got um, a, kind of roughed up by the police, it mm. was really hard. I had to really work at forgiving, forgiving anyone. I, I really, I, I get how Whoa. how people can get activated Whoa. and become like. Tell me about this forgiveness thing. Tell me, tell me why did you need to forgive or felt like you needed to forgive? Why do I forgive? Because I feel like, okay, look, like when I became a father, I decided. Mm. I was capable of killing someone. Mm, okay. Right? Now, forgiving them is like, you know, I might forgive them as I'm killing them. <laughs> because <laughs> forgiveness is for me. Mm-hmm. Forgive. I mean, I, I know, I, I, I'm aware of this kind of like the controversy around like, do you publicly, publicly forgive somebody and kind of, make, does that deflate the outrage against this person? And, Personally, I think we should be able to forgive and hold accountable at the same time because forgiveness is as much for the victim as it is, or maybe more so for the victim, in my opinion, than it is for the perpetrator. Because well, because forgiveness will allow me to look at it and deal with it in a way that is more fair. But I think you always have to hold people accountable in some way. Like, I personally want to be held accountable when I mess up. Like, to not be held accountable means that I don't have people around me who love me. So so being held accountable is not the opposite of forgiveness to me. Well, you know, I feel like when I had a conversation with with a great local politician, shout out to the homie Hamilton Grant, who he met his wife through Charleston 9, where um, one of her relatives was was one of the people that were killed, and we had this conversation about forgiveness, and and it's a touchy thing for me, right? Because like I've never experienced anything like this with my family, but I also felt like my biggest issue because I've written about Charleston Nine, and I've written about after they made this documentary on it, there was this um, big part of the documentary where they showcase these black families saying, "I forgive you, Dylan Roof, I forgive you," and they play like you know the little somber like gospel like music in the background and shit and it made it sound like it's this really really great thing but but it bothered me for a couple of reasons it bothered me because i felt like somehow some way i feel like a lot of times in america especially with with black um religious people our weight our faith is weaponized against us and i and i got frustrated because the documentary talked about the families that said they forgave and they showed one family that said we didn't forgive them. But what they didn't show, because this is right after it happened, what they didn't show was what Dylan Roof said after the family said, yeah, he said, my opinions haven't changed. You know, I I felt like I should have done it. So my, so my question is like, what are you forgiving? And so a lot of times when I think of forgiveness for me, it's that I have to forgive myself. Right. Because a lot of times if something happens tragically, we blame ourselves for something. We're like, if I would have done something different or if I would have made that phone call, you know, if I had a friend that committed suicide, which I've had, and, I, and then you blame yourself for not calling or not being there or blah, 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 blah. You know, there has to be that forgiveness, but maybe it's for me. I don't I don't see the, 
I wouldn't say I don't see the benefit of forgiveness, but my thing is like, what the fuck are you forgiving if it's just happened? And this guy, which we always say, um, the best apology is changed behavior. So it's like, if Dylan Roof went into prison and all of a sudden started reading books and realizing that his white supremacist ways were were wrong, and he tried to you know find a way to repent, et cetera, et cetera, th- that's something that's I feel is more forgivable. Sure, sure. Yeah. But here's the thing: is if in my situation, I'd be like, you know, for instance, when I realized that I would I would kill someone to protect my children, mm-hmm. so. You know, I can forgive that person for trying to uh, hurt my child. It's harder to forgive myself for not doing something to prevent it if I had the power. So, you know, I might end up, you know, maiming or maybe killing someone if they're trying to hurt my family. I would forgive them. And then the harder work would be, well, if I was successful in preventing them from hurting my family, Mm -hmm. then it'd be a lot easier to forgive, I mean, I wouldn't have anything to forgive myself for. I got you. I would, you know, but I would forgive them. Just like, I'll forgive them up front. I'm just like, you know what, whatever. I don't know your situation. Whatever, you were sick in the mind. You thought that doing this certain this this certain violence towards somebody I love was, you know, what you needed to do. It had nothing to do with me, really. It was simply prejudice. It was simply whatever. It has nothing to do with me. So I forgive you for that sense of, like, I'm not taking... I'm not taking this personally from you. You're a sick individual. Well, uh, I feel like. But accountability, you know, like I'm saying, I basically I I encourage anyone to look at the possibility that uh, holding somebody accountable does not have to be the same measure as um, holding uh, resentment toward that person in your heart. I feel like you can you can let you can release the resentment toward them in a way that makes you breathe easier Mm -hmm. And hold them accountable, and I feel like you do those two in conjunction, you might even be more effective because essentially what you want to do is help, kind of help heal the situation. And for some people, I don't know. It's it's a big question. Is like how do you how do you reform criminals? And and I think, but I think that's that's between them and God in a way, right? Because because I feel like you know Dylan Roof is supposedly dying in prison, like he's on you know. Right. He's on death row. So so it's like, you know, he might go the rest of his life not giving a shit. And 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 I think finding your peace and forgiveness are two different things. Right. Like he like I feel like, you know, you could simultaneously be like, yo, this is an awful, terrible racist person that did this for racial reasons, doesn't care about why he did it. I got to say, I don't I don't feel like I can't do one and not have the other. Right. Like, I feel like I can say, fuck this dude. I hope you, you know. I hope you die. I hope this. I hope that. I feel like I can do that and still heal. I feel. I don't feel like that takes anything away from me, right? Like I feel like because to me, okay, is it is it any better? Is it any better, for instance, to have somebody killed for for um, something that wasn't racial, just like a random random violence? Uh, yeah. I mean, because intent is a lot of it, right? It's 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 if if you know, it's the stray bullet theory. Right. Like, it's a, you know, it's a time to kill. Remember that part in the time to kill where Samuel Jackson, his 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 black daughter got got beaten up and raped. And he went to a place with a machine gun and he shot the spot up trying to go after these guys. that got to quit it. And somebody got hit with a straight bullet and the guy ended up losing his leg. And the guy goes on the stand where the prosecution 
against Sam Jackson character. They're thinking that, oh, this is going to be a great guy for our case because he lost a leg because Sam Jackson did his thing. And the guy was basically like, yo, I don't even blame you. If somebody did that to my daughter, I'll be with the motherfucking machine gun too. Somebody else would have got with a straight bullet. Yeah. And so so I look at I look at that perspective where intent gotta be a a part of it, right? Where it's like, you know, you know I don't know though. A drunk 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 driver might not be intended, but that's something totally reckless. But if it's something where you can't, you know, you can't avoid it or something or something like that, it's it's like, you know, you can't you can't I can I don't know. For me, just racism to me is like a lack of thinking things through either either it's a lack of intelligence or it's more of a sociopathic like well if i buy if i jump on the racist train then i get to benefit from you know systematic racism and like either of those to me are like it's like either way you you are missing an important piece of the puzzle that like I'm just a very I'm just a highly spiritual person. I really do believe in karma. I really do believe that like if you choose a lie over the truth consciously, you know, if you really choose um for instance, if you really choose might over right, mm-hmm. if you really choose to be like, well, I'm pretty sure this is wrong, but I'm going to I'm going to choose this anyway because it benefits me in this moment. And you don't have a concept of like long-term karma. Mm-hmm. If you really choose that, I feel sorry for you even if in the moment I'm losing out and it's just like you got something coming to you. I really do believe in a universal consciousness. I really do believe that karma will eventually come around in some form and it's going to get you. Yeah. So to me, I would rather make the right choice and in the short term go out like the Apaches or whatever or go out like, you know, the losing faction. Maybe even like look at like just as a Christian myself, look at look who is the representative of my religion is Jesus. Like, well, well, what happened to Jesus? Jesus got crucified, okay? That's not like that he basically lost, right? A situation. And so it's like I think that's um but in a bigger cosmic timetable, mm-hmm. I think we do end up winning. And, and 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 it's it's you know, you have to you have to you have to go through a lot of losses before you can realize like, wow, I've gone through so many losses. I've lost so many times and I'm still here. So it must be something. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, I, I was, I was writing something today and I said something about, um, hope is a currency that black people in America have a bunch of, even when society tells us that we should be bankrupt from it. It's a frustrating, it's a frustrating currency to be working in. But sometimes it's all you got. This is like Bitcoin, man. Can't, I can't pay my bills with hope. No, you can't. You can't. But at the same time, with Bitcoin, like we were talking, so we took a walk earlier before we did this. Same time we're talking. I have some friends who invested in Bitcoin. I mean, there, 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 there is a time. Where you there invest is a time in hope to jump and, and in something and hope, yeah. and it will work out. And I feel, honestly, as a, well, shoot, as a musician, I feel like that's what I've been investing in this whole time. <laughs> I mean, I... I it's interesting, right? Because it's all it's all about the perspectives of these things. Because it's like when you're talking about people that choose to do wrong. When you listen to Dylan Roof talk, he speaks from the perspective of the righteous. You know, he thinks he's supposed to do that. You know what I mean? So, so I mean, either he thinks that, or also you also got to wonder. You know, it's like what do you say on the microphone? Because who are you going home to? 
You know, like what do you mean? What do you mean? Like who is he have to answer to after he gets off that microphone when he goes home? Who he's who is who's gonna be around him that he that he feels accountable to, that he feels pressure from to say whatever things he has to say. You know, not that I not that I mean, I just think like sometimes it's sad when people have a uh, an environment that that encourages them to do the wrong thing and to and to have the wrong philosophy that is hurtful to to the entire human race and like I feel grateful pers- personally I like to count my blessings when it's like I'm at least grateful that I have my head on straight I feel sorry for him that he's really really in the position where either he believes that or he's pressured to say that either way at a certain point it becomes the same thing all right. Well, I don't want to dwell on this because I'm getting depressed. Let's talk about the election. Let me stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's I. I don't. I really. I think you might have listened to the podcast I put out earlier this week. I listened to the. Well, when I thought it came out yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. yeah it's earlier this week. Yesterday. Like I put it out literally election day, and and there was a lot of stuff that that I was kind of um, worried about. Some of it came to fruition. I, I I was unsure about the Jamie Harrison election, and I was really disappointed in that. I'm really sorry about that. Well, you know, the thing, too, that I realized was that, you know, living in Colombia is a gift and a curse in a way, right? Where it's like Colombia is this blue bubble in a red state, you know? And so there's a lot of stuff that we think is progressive because I'm in this city and we have a black mayor that when you get when you get out of here, it doesn't look that way. And and when we talk about politics, politics by definition is the will of the people, period. So I can't get frustrated about Trump getting elected or 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 even worse, the fact that we believe or I believe, you know, that Trump did such a terrible job that Biden would have been winning in a landslide. The fact that it's getting this close, it you start to realize like, okay. This wasn't a fluke. You know who was a fluke? Obama. Like, Obama's the fluke. Obama, we're thinking, is going to be a trend with the ideal of progressiveness. But he's the outlier. And I think that what we're seeing is, regardless if Biden wins or not, the amount of support Trump has had, even if you're just a one-topic voter, you can just vote on coronavirus alone. And that was mismanaged and mishandled. The fact that it's this close and that he might still possibly run through with it is disheartening. And you realize um, what people want to preserve with somebody like Trump. It's like, regardless of how bad he is, the one thing that he's been very clear about is preserving whiteness. And I don't mean whiteness in the sense of a race. I'm meaning it in the sense of a mentality of superiority. Because yeah. I think I think different people have different perspectives of whiteness that doesn't necessarily happen to to be with race. And you look at, I'm watching. Um, well, for instance, OJ. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's exactly what I'm getting to, right? It's like you know, when OJ's like, I'm not black, I'm OJ. You know, that's or, why. Or uh, Lil Wayne. I'm looking at what Lil Wayne is dealing with right now, and Lil Wayne is. Donald Glover said something like, "I want to be big and white." Like, that's what he said. Remember? Yeah. Do you do you remember that? Yeah. He said, "I want to be big and white," and I kind of understand. He was basically admitting to like, "Look, white privilege is powerful, and I want a piece of white privilege." Well, the, you know, it's 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 what I said on the other podcast, and I was speaking to a friend of mine. We were talking about the Oklahoma City bombing, and and we were talking about in comparative to nine eleven, where Oklahoma City bombing. I was, heard that. Yeah, that was yeah. a good podcast. Yeah, it was like you know, Oklahoma City bombing was a terrorist attack, and it was a military guy, white guy, Roman Catholic guy, but there wasn't that. Uh, response to this white dude 
being a terrorist as it was to 9-11. Now, do, do you think that that was because he was like a part of some... W- 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 wasn't he part of some situation where they were like giving him like experimental drugs or something no i don't know i don't i don't think of nothing like that what i what i think about it is, I thought, is i thought he was like a like a like a, a an experiment that went wrong no, and he like he, ended up being some no, military he dude was, he was dealing roof with bombs and 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 i, I feel like i feel like i feel like those narratives to try to paint it any other way makes it it overcomplicates the situation where i think you know white supremacy isn't that complicated and i think that when we try to listen to these other things where you know the alex joneses of the world trying to say that that um you know the school shooting that happened at sandy at sandy hook is sandy hook, yeah. is is uh, uh method actors or people crisis are, actors crisis act, you know and 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 then you have people like joe rogan who try to play both sides of the fence where i listen to his podcast when he puts someone like alex jones on his platform it, it's fucking infuriating it's like they try. I, I think there's all these attempts to try to dilute the ideal that white supremacy is the answer to a lot of these questions, and we try to add other right. Stuff you to try it. to skirt around it. Well, but, maybe maybe I it mean, was some drugs they gave him. Right. Maybe no. Maybe I, he had a bad childhood. I was you know? definitely disappointed in Joe Rogan when he uh, tried to dismiss uh, what happened in the last Borat movie in terms of uh, Ru- Rudy Giuliani. He yeah. tried to say he was like, "Oh, he was just trying to take off his mic." I was like, "No, I saw that." Yeah, I saw that too. Look, <laughs> and the thing is, is like, I don't know, like. <laughs> I, I wouldn't put it past Rudy Giuliani or a lot of people to do what he did in that situation, right? I wouldn't put it past them. Um, I think I think he I think he was reaching down in his pants and he was grabbing himself for yeah. sure. Oh, he, no, was re- he was reaching for a microphone, right? No, 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 no. Yeah, he was reaching for yeah, he's reaching for his uh, whatever it is. He wanted sure, a mic check. Yeah. The sure. The, what is it? The sure ninety. Uh, the sure uh, fifty seven. What you got sure right there? Fifty seven. <laughs> But but you know but but I say that to say with a lot of these things is that there's always this thing with the black community where we growing up watching Wheel of Fortune or, or if, my, if I visit my mom and we're watching like Family Feud and there's a black family against a white family or whatever and like there's this thing where if the black family say some corny shit and they lose there's this pressure of damn it that makes us look bad you oh, know what yeah, I mean no, it's like when somebody's like on American ninja and it's mm. like a woman and she's like i'm doing this to prove that <laughs> girls can do everything that guys can do and then she'll like get out in like and two just, seconds psh, psh, yeah. and it's like oh i wish you wouldn't have said but, that but but that's but that's something that happens i think specifically with with black folks in a lot of situations or a lot of other people in different in different realms right you can say black brown people but anytime we're in some type of national stage there's always this pressure of speaking on behalf of a group of people where I think when we talk about quote unquote whiteness, whiteness has the ability to be an individual. So like, for instance, so my and, and it, it, this this is an interesting case. So I'm I'm Native American. My mother's part of a tribe. I'm a part of a tribe called the Yaqui tribe. And we uh, are located in northern Mexico and southern Arizona. How do you, how do you spell the Yaqui tribe? Y-A-Q-U-I. Okay. And uh, so we had a um, a tribal council woman, the first female to win tribal the tribal council woman position. Mm-hmm. She turned it from tribal councilman to tribal or what it was it it was like the chair. She so she was the chair. So basically, she was like the president of our tribe. So you know the pressure was on her as the first woman to set an example 
unfortunately, she was uh, she was very kind of car- career driven in the sense of she she didn't really so much care about the tribe, but she cared about you know setting her own her well for one she gave herself a raise mm-hmm. like a major raise at the at the cost of like other programs that you know could have gone to so but anyways she she was a horrible tribal councilwoman she she really did a poor job she was more about her like elevating her own career mm-hmm. and it was just sad because it was like it's she was the the first woman so now she made it harder for other women to get that job because of sexism mm. it's not you know it's because of se- because sexism is already in place so so it's hard to to be in that position i think sometimes you might just give up immediately just be like well, yeah. well fine if, if i have all this criticism coming on me i might as well just enrich myself mm-hmm. and then get out because what am i going to well, that's what, what, how am I going to benefit if I try to cater to these people mm-hmm. who are already questioning if I can achieve the job and then I do all I can and they don't approve at well, the end. And that, that's something that specifically happens to non-white folks where you have people do that all the time that look out for themselves and it's never and it's never questioned. But there's something in the black community that if you look out for yourself, you consider the sellout or the OJ theory. Right. Where. And I talked about the Jordan shit where he's just like, oh, Republicans buy shoes, too. And it looked as if he was putting um, his ability to speak on something political to help his people. He put that on a back burner for the sake of business. And and at one part of me that's that's disappointed in that. There's another part of me that feels like there's a lot of white athletes and white celebrities that don't have that type of pressure where they can be just as selfish as they want to be. And nobody says shit about it, you know. And so and so that's that's what I'm speaking about like the theory of whiteness because you know i'm watching the new season of fargo right now and it, it's really cool it takes place in 1950 in kansas city and chris rock runs a um he runs like a mobster family black mobster family against this italian mobster family and the italian mobster family you know something happens when somebody gets injured and they're trying to go to a hospital and they're not even allowed in the hospital because we're not going to let Italians in this hospital and be on this hospital bed. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so the idea of of whiteness, when we say it's not necessarily a race, Italians weren't known were, or were treated as we're not whites. Exactly, they were not part of the white monolith. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Same thing. With, right. with same thing with Irishmen. Like you watch gangs in New York. It's like you know uh, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character. These people coming in from Ireland, they were treated as that. You know, so I mean, they lived amongst the blacks. Yeah, exactly. And 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 so you see how that stuff is shifted that that it's not always about the color of the skin it's well, always about the alignment of where you are socially and well, people Chappelle, kind of forget where they were at that time Chappelle has a couple of jokes about that that are hilarious but one of them I remember he had he said that like in the 90s he's like the the 90s was a wild time like you know oftentimes I'd be in a room eating a meal with a bunch of people and I'd be the only black person. And he's like, but now I kind of like it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so there's those pressures that that fall on me a lot of times. It might, and it might be a lot of, of it is self-inflicted. But there's some black people, if they're the only black guy in the room, they get excited about it. And they, they feel like, you know, I've succeeded in a way that others haven't. And, and I'm always on the mentality of, I want another one of us here. You know, that I don't want. Yeah. 
I don't I don't want it to be this rarity. I want it to be a trend, sort of like I'm saying about Obama. You know what I'm saying? It's right. like it's like, you know, I don't want the next movie about the first time a black person did something. You know, Jackie right. Robinson, he's the first to be in baseball and you know, uh Well you've we seen just, enough of it. You've seen enough of yeah, it. Yeah. You've seen enough of it. Yeah. I mean it, it it had its purpose. Yeah. I and mean, I'm I th- always the guy that's like when I was when I was like a teenager i was always the guy in my friends that they're like you're gonna talk to the adults mm. like if adult comes if a cop comes to talk to us send well then i call myself john so send john <laughs> to go talk instead to of cop, juan right yeah so yeah. i was like okay i'll Look put at- on my white voice and my white name <laughs> well, all right i'll give you a prime example of something like that that happened to me right and and i'm not trying to throw this guy under the bus but i don't think he listens to this podcast but <laughs> but um i'm hanging out at a bar it's probably happening a year ago i'm hanging out at a bar and um, I see a friend of mine. When I come in, it looks like he had a little too much to drink, but I don't think twice about it. And I sit and have drinks with a couple of my friends. And I turn and I look at my friend that I saw earlier. And, I, and I'm like, damn. I'm like, my homie, somebody looks like my friend that I just saw, but 30 years older. And it dawned on me. I was like, oh, that's my friend. He had so much to drink that he just looked, he just looked like <laughs> he, he just aged 30 years. Yeah. And so... After I saw that, like a few moments later, I hear this big crash on the floor, and I realize my friend had so much to drink that he just fell on the floor. And so I get up, I literally pluck him off the floor, and I'm like, I'm taking you home. So I get him in my truck, and he's hammered. And the irony of it was, it was like I I, I rarely have a chance to like clean my car, like clean it, clean it, take it to the you know car wash and shit. Detail it. Yo, had that shit spotless. And the day I get that shit done, I'm thinking this motherfucker's about to throw up in my car, right? So I had taken him home one time before because he lives close to me, but I couldn't remember exactly where he lived. So I say to him, I'm like, yo, man, um, when we get closer, let me know where you are, and I can take you to where you need to be. So I get into his house. He's walking. We walk into the door. He's like stumbling a little bit. And we get to the door. His uh, his porch light doesn't work. <laughs> his porch light doesn't work. And we get to the door. And he tries to type in his code for the alarm. Type it in one time. It don't work. Type it in a second time. It don't work. Third time. It don't work. After that. <gasps> like the alarm is blasting in this neighborhood. Right. His porch light doesn't work. And it's, it's some white people walking the dog. It, it's loud as fuck. Now, to put this in perspective, it's chilly outside. So not only am I wearing this black trench coat that I got from Banana Republic, I also have a Kaepernick hoodie on. <laughs> so, hoodie. so you're both like you're both like Trayvon Martin and the guys who did the um, bowling, for, uh, the Columbine shooting. Yo, at the same absolutely. Time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trench coat mafia, right? And so, and so. I immediately get afraid because the am- for the alarm's going on. I know the police are going to get called. My friend is hammered. He can't talk. Shit. I immediately have this thought in my head. I have to take this trench coat off and become as unthreatening as, as, as white possible. as possible. I mean, because there's no street. There's no, there's his lamp on his. It's a uh, good strategy. It's a good survival strategy. His porch light doesn't work either. So I'm all I can see is here's this white guy incapacitated on you know and you see me with a trench coat something might happen so my so my neighbor so, so, his, oh my so I'm sorry God. so his neighbor his neighbor is texting him and she's like is this your house blah 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 are you okay and I grab the phone I'm like yo this is preach I'm his friend he's hammered I'm like something's up like please you know 
you know, help me. She's like, you want me to come over? I'm like, yes. Cause I'm like, get a white woman over here. Always have a white woman speak on your behalf when the cops come, if you can. <laughs> yes. Right? And so finally I realized <laughs> there's a friend of mine that used to be this guy's roommate. So I call my friend and I'm like, yo, row, row, row. do you remember row, 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 the passcode row, 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 to turn the alarm off? So he gives me the passcode and, and the alarm goes off and we're still hanging out for a second. My friend's phone rings. And I answer the phone. I try to answer it as, as white as possible. I'm like, hello? Show me, yeah, show yeah. me your white voice. I'm like, uh, hello, how you doing? <laughs> I was like, oh, this is such and such security. We blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, you know, my name is uh, Derek, and I took uh, my good friend home. Uh, he had a little too much to drink. Um, but, you know, we got things under control. And the guy says, well, since you guys turned the alarm off, we're going to cancel the dispatch because they had the cops on the way. Yes. Right? And and I'm like, well, thank you so very much, you know. And it was just one of those weird moments where it was like <laughs> those survival God. tactics. If I would have been like, yeah, motherfucker, my man had too much to drink in his yeah. motherfucker, you know. When keeping it real goes wrong, <laughs> yo, <laughs> you know, that's the time to front. Yo, so so it's it's just one of those weird things that that's the instinctual thing to do, where you really feel like your blackness can immediately be used against you. Yeah, you know. So I mean, you know, it's. As much as it's, as much as it's unfortunate that we have to do that, I mean, I'm half white, so I do it maybe even a little. I see the thing is, is there's times where I should turn off my white voice, mm. but I don't, mm -hmm. you know. And then it it happens, and like I don't, I don't get caught like a call back from that certain <laughs> lady or something. You know what I mean? Like there's certain times where it, it's not a privilege, but. But in general, as much as it's unfortunate that we have to do that sometimes, we have to play our white our white role or play a white card. Like, I can play a white card because I'm half white, you know, and I've grown up in white institutions, going to white colleges, living in white neighborhoods, having white, you know, uh, family members and stuff, and kind of learning to move in that world a little bit. Um, as much as it's unfortunate that we have to, it's also, you can also look at it as somewhat funny. Like when you, when you <laughs> like listening to you do your white voice, it's, it's hilarious, right? It's kind of, I mean, it's like, it's tragic comedy. It's like, yeah. it's that situation where you at least have to look at like how funny it is when Chappelle will put on wa white face, yeah. right? It's hilarious. Uh. It, 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 it like heals a little part of us because it's like, geez, you have to do that. But it's funny to see somebody harp on it and make a joke of it because like we have to we have to do that in order yeah. it's another it's another part of survival is to laugh at it i mean yeah and and i think that um you know i, I did a column about this when you had like some some columbia college girls putting on blackface and it was a, a uproar and then i wrote about it and i had white people coming up to me and say well what about when marlon and, and sean waynes do white chicks this is the same i'm like no it's not you know what i mean historically speaking you know the the power being made fun of by the poor is always acceptable. But when the, but, but when the power makes fun of the poor, that becomes the abuse of power. Right? Yeah. Right. And to me, I don't, I don't know if this is absolutely true or partially true, but I feel like white women are, you know, like white blonde women are especially powerful. You know what I mean? Well, look, like they're, they're, they're powerful and they're terrorists because, all the stuff that we talk about with with the voting blocks and things like that, like man, white women got Trump in power, and 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 right now as we see Biden and Trump fighting, um, it's white women again too, and 
And a lot without, of times, think, you think without the white woman block, without like the white it, woman, like yes, platinum specifically, blonde, <laughs> that you would not have a Trump in power. Absolutely, and 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 people would think. Here's a mistake that people make, and I think this is something specific that that happens with us is that you know white women historically in America have been treated as quote unquote second class citizens at times, um, and so we would feel as if them trying to find their equality and their right would also align with other people that are being disenfranchised because we're like, yo, we're one and the same. And and white women historically have never done that. So if you look at, you know, women having the right to vote in the 1920s with the whole push of Susan B. Anthony, um, with Susan B. Anthony, um, Susan B. Anthony was fighting for the vote of white women. Right, right, right. No, it, it's, it's it, it was it wasn't I for mean, black women. You, you get know? the same thing when you go to the topic of unions. You know, exactly. there's like unions that you can be behind, and there's unions that I don't. I'm not necessarily in support of. You know, a you know a prison complex of complex a, yeah, union. Right. I mean, I I mean, I, I I theoretically I am, but when but anyways, um. But oh uh, shoot, I had a really good point. I lost it. Oh, it's that but gummy. I, I it's that gummy. Say, I know. Well, not the gummy. Did I? No. You took it. No. Right. No, I did not. That's a whole other conversation for a podcast. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I am looking around at these posters on your wall, and this one that's right in front of me. Mm-hmm. You look kind of like LL Cool J. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I've been called that plenty <laughs> of times. I was, I think, I was 23 when that came out. Yeah. So when you were 23, yeah. you looked kind of like a, a, a LL with locks. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something else that I plan on doing now, right? I have this obsession of trying to get artwork with with signatures on it. Um, See, I don't understand that at all, but go ahead. Why don't you understand it? Because to me, it's like if I don't want the like Mona Lisa with like somebody's signature on it it's well, like the painting itself is your signature well, let's like, be yes, honest but, but, but the mona lisa that. but the mona lisa also has a signature on it like all artwork has the signature that's true on that's it. true but some signatures it's like the signature it looks better without the signature so personally with my own art it's like i made this cd i designed the the graphic art i made you know i wrote well, a lot of songs to me this is my signature well i'm well I, and I it's think... never gonna be it's never gonna if i wanted my signature on it mm-hmm. I would have put it on well, there. I, I look at it differently, right? Like my my grandmother passed away in 2017, and and I felt the 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 only thing that my mom and I talked about if she could have left something for me, there was a Bible that I wanted that my grandmother had, and I got sad because I I wish there was a trust for us or or something, you know, the inheritance thing, right? Where you ever watch Pawn Stars? Uh, yeah, I've seen Pawn Stars. I I get I'm fascinated about that show. There's a lot of it that's really interesting, and then it just and then it breaks my heart that essentially speaking, if you watch Pawn Stars, let's be honest about it, that they're, they're Trumpers, they're quiet about it, but these guys are from Nevada. All of them, these big, obese, white, nasty looking dudes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm, I'm being I'm being straight up because <laughs> one one of the kids he had like a triple bypass surgery, that's whatever, a, but big hoss. He used to be on the show <sighs> breathing like this. And these motherfuckers would spend money on people's history like it's nothing. Right? Like you bring stuff in and they'd be like, all right, I'll, I'll offer you 5000 for this and this and this and that. And this guy's like, yeah, I can't wait to have this Monet in my pawn shop or whatever. And it would frustrate me that they were so 
flipping about it. Like they didn't even give a shit. And it was just this thing where it was just this commodity that they had. And I would look at my family and look at a lot of like black families that I know. We didn't have anything to collect. We didn't have anything to pass down because when you're going through poverty, you really, if there was something of value, you would have sold it to, to get yourself out of a situation. And so the art aspect of, of what I've been kind of excited about lately is I've met a lot of cool, dope people. So like I have like this great Chappelle signature on my record and I was gifted. I mean, that's worth something. But this, but this is what I'm saying is that I don't you have got a, a, you got a KRS one. Yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't have a lot right of money. Of I, I don't have a lot of money. And so my thing is my travels and me being an artist those are the things that I can invest in that I could pass down, right? So imagine, imagine my children like being a able to of say, "Karis one with his signature on this, it." Despite this, despite Lee's signature, Spike Lee's signature. So, so I had I this obsession, but I had this obsession with black art, black artists, or or creative artists, and I'm trying to catch them early on. Like there's an artist named Fahamu Puku who's insane. Like you see his work. We'll say that one. Say that one more time. Fahamu Puku. Okay. Like his his work is insane, and his pieces, his originals are going for like. Twenty thirty thousand dollars, but every once in a blue moon, he'll do prints of his work that he'll do twenty five a piece, twenty five editions of something, and sell them for like four hundred bucks. And and I and I see him now that if you look at um what's what's his name um Kahinde Kahinde Wiley, the guy that did Obama's oh um with the flowers White House portrait yeah yeah, yeah his work is through the roof now. And I feel like if it's through the roof after Obama. Well, yeah, I mean, his, he's been an, he was an incredible artist before then. But after that, what ends up happening with a lot of these artists, you're not going to get prints from them anymore. Just a new plateau. Yeah, of success. like like so. So he has like little small prints that are going for like twenty thousand dollars. And he's not doing any limited runs of his prints anymore because he's at that level now that he puts something out. You're just you're just going to buy an original for me and just say, fuck it. Like we won't ever know about when he puts stuff out. I mean, nah, we'll see it in a museum somewhere Maybe. Or, or, or hear about a private selling. But I say that when I say Bahama Buku, I feel like if God willing, you know, Biden and Kamala get in there, this would be the dude that's going to do Kamala's portraits. And so to me, if I see him selling his prints with his signatures on them now for 400 something bucks, I need to get it now. And I yeah. think, and, but but I think from that perspective, I technically can't afford it, but I probably could invest in it because that's something that I know I can always pass down. And a lot of the artwork that I have are from artists that I'm friends with, right? So this is a Sanford Green piece that's autographed by Fife from a Tribe Called Quest and Ghostface from Colacon. Wow. This is you know a piece from a homeboy in Switzerland with the the black chick with with her hand on her face with the flower. Like these are people that I know. This is Jay Dilla, like. So it's not necessarily saying I'm going to a situation Wait, where I'm that trying to. Dilla, whose signature is on the Dilla? Um, Who did that? Uh, Dan Lish is a British artist that um, I, I helped edit his book about his artwork, and he sent one of those limited prints to me as wow. a gift. So to me, my obsession with art and 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 things that I can get my hands on, it's not always the most expensive thing, but it's but it's trying to have that perspective of I want to leave something behind, and that's where the art idea kind of I mean, comes I, from. I understand. If if I had like a collection of art with signatures on it, then I think signatures would be more on the front of my mind as something of value. And I see it looking at all your art right now on like in this room. Mm -hmm. I mean, it does make more it does make more sense when you see a collection. Yeah, it's an investment. I, mean, I, I got the Obama signature right there. You know what I mean? So yeah, and so 
when I talk to you about you have a music, collection of signatures. I mean, really. I mean, you know, and that's something that I think I can invest in, right? That's not going to kill me, and and eventually it'll be worth it, right? So it's like, you know, I like when we were talking about music earlier. It's that when the album comes out that I'm finishing up. I'm not really worried about people buying the digital copy of it. I'm more concerned about putting it out on vinyl and signing it because that makes it something that someone wants to put their hands on and, and pay for as opposed to them just listening to it on their iPhone. Okay, I'm know? down with that, but you got to make your signature look kind of pretty. I'm How is your signature? Is it good? Because uh, some signatures are bad. For instance, Trump's signature, have you seen it? I've seen it's it. not a good signature. It doesn't look good. Even, I'm sorry to say, but that signature right there. Uh-huh. Spike Lee's? Spike Lee. That's not really a great signature. Well, it look, looks look at this like a doctor that, writing. Look at this shot that I haven't put out yet. Right right here. Right, right there. So it's signed by me and the artist. My my signature's to the left and Dre's signature's to the right. I don't I don't think those signatures are good enough. <laughs> uh, so we had to improve our signatures? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. But if I was going to put, I mean, yeah, I don't know. If I ever put my signature on it, I would make it like, Gold foiled. This guy. <laughs> I mean, you would know. Like for real, maybe I should do that, but I don't think anybody would care right now. Oh, you know what else? You know what else? <laughs> but I, I will got, give you one. You know what else? I got sign. Hold on. All right. So I know this is gonna. This pause might be edited out, but it's look. Not, it's not edited out. Yeah. Look. So you can't, you can't read that though. Yeah. So Kamala Harris signed. Preach. Uh, thank you for, uh, shoot, what does it say? Thank you for being a a a a friend for truth. No, preach. Thank you for being a something something truth, Kamala. That's what it says. Yeah. On the on the book, the truths the truths we hold. Yeah. So I'm a I'm really good at reading poor handwriting, and and also at at deciphering codes. I'm really good. Oh, this, I went. That's the racism in you. The not the racism, but the. Well, you're talking about American. the Native American, the, yeah, code, the code talkers. Yeah. No, but I'm not. I'm not Navajo. I'm I'm Yaki. But no, it's not about it's not about my race. It's about uh, the size and the health of my brain. Oh. <laughs> It's about how many omega-3 fatty acids I ate at a young age. He's <laughs> like, I got to wear a big hat for this big brain. <laughs> fucking Yakub. You know about the Yakub yeah. shit? No, what's that? Just um, in, uh, what do you call it, uh, 5% century um, ideology. What, 5%? Yeah, five. five Tell me about this. I've heard about it in Jay Electronica songs. Well, yeah, pretty much that in some of uh, Muslim cultures, they thought that, like, it's a guy named Yakub. Who was this evil scientist that had? Two, oh yeah, yeah, two yeah. Brains. The island. Yeah. The guy that uh, invented white people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the ideology. <laughs> he has these two big brains. Yeah. yeah, I love that stuff. And you know, and the and the thing is, as much as uh, Elijah Muhammad's like sci-fi, you know, explanation for uh, white people is ridiculous, I really like this genre. Like <laughs> they make better rappers, like Wu Tang Clan. And shit like. <laughs> no, I love I I I I think that Black Muslims achieved a lot. I know uh-huh. it's a lot of people say that you know Martin Luther King was the one who achieved more than Malcolm X, but when you look at you know doing for yourself, 
I mean, the black Muslims became a formidable force in American politics. They definitely got to the point where the FBI wanted to be all up in their business. Well, the the FBI's main objective was was just anything that was um, black organizing. Right. So so if you talk about black Muslims, they were a threat. They were a threat. Martin Luther King was a threat, but they were a threat. But that's but that's the point that I'm getting to. Right. If Martin Luther King is talking about peace and he's talking about, you know, not trying to be violent and stuff like that. The the only way that you can see Martin Luther King as being a threat as somebody that is peaceful is Is if you have another entity that's not peaceful, that's looking to him. No, no, no. If no, I feel like I feel like Martin was probably just as much as a threat to the FBI as as the black Muslims because and, and the irony of it is I would imagine that that the FBI would embrace the black Muslims more because um but both of them threat in different ways where but James Brown was a threat well <laughs> you just, you all over the fucking place so James Brown but no but he, he was but when you talk no when you talk about when you talk about Martin Luther King the threat was he was encouraging equality between black and white people. And as soon as people start to embrace the idea of black and white people being equal, that's a threat. That's well, a threat on that's a threat on your pigeonhole, on jobs, on But the on biggest unions. threat, the biggest threat, and the reason why I do ultimately align more with Martin Luther King is because he was talking about casual equality. What do you, you know? mean? What do you mean? Like you mean? just being able to like do something on a casual level. You know, it, and rather than it being this big ceremonious, no, like, ooh, it, it, we it are. Was, it wasn't, it wasn't, like, it wasn't casual quality. No, it I was, mean, it like, was being civility. able to. It was civility. That's what I mean. But being able to go up and order a sandwich but at a restaurant. But that's. Is not a, you know, like, who cares? But no, who cares? That's, but that's the point. But that's, that's that, the, that is the problem. And this is where me and my fork in a row between Martin and Malcolm come. Because when you're talking about Martin. Or Malcolm. Malcolm was like, I don't want to eat your sandwich. But this, but this is the point I'm getting to. Malcolm and black Muslims is not necessarily Martin. Or Malcolm and black Muslims. It's Garveyism. And the idea of Garveyism is this. Marcus Garvey said, white folks don't dislike black people because we're black. They just don't believe that we have the power to control our own community. So what ends up happening when you look at Martin, and Martin's main objective is to showcase equality with black and white people. There's something that happens to the psychology of the Jim Crow South in America when Martin is basically telling groups of black people like, yo, we want to eat at your restaurants. And they say, fuck you. We don't want you here. We want to eat at your restaurants. Fuck you. We don't want you here. They beat us up. They kick us. They spray us with water hoses. Like, we don't even want your money. Yo, well, they'll still take our money. We just can't eat in there. But it's oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Take, give us yeah. your money, but don't come yo, in. We'll sit, sit out back. But the point is, think about this. Take out. Think about this. You do all this terrible, horrible shit to me, and I still want to sit in your restaurant. Does something to know, does know. something to the psychology of those people where they're basically like, we can do whatever the fuck we want, and they still want to be around us. And right, right, right. And that becomes something that I don't think that Martin understood until later. Because Martin, when he gave his "I Have a Dream" speech, he said in front of Harry Belafonte, he said, "I think I am inviting my people into a burning house." When he talked about integration, because he saw how horrible to Jim Crow South. I mean, I understand the the part of integration where there were black economies that were thriving and powerful. And this and that becomes what Garveyism was, right? Because Garveyism is necessarily it wasn't a racial thing, it was basically saying 
if these people are spitting in your face and calling you nigga, why are you giving them? I mean, look at it now. If somebody was racist and nasty, I don't want to eat at your spot. Why don't you go into the restaurant in your neighborhood and spend money there? Now, that, now this is the strongest case I could see for capitalism is black capitalism because you have a situation where it's like, you know, I don't. OK, look, I'm not I haven't read a lot of Adam Smith, but I do know the basics of you take care of yourself and your own mm-hmm. and you will end up benefiting more than just yourself. Mm-hmm. But in the case of black economic power, mm-hmm. like I do appreciate the concept and it's worth exploring more mm-hmm. of like, okay, so like what if we don't have like as much symbolic uh, currency, but we just have more money? Mm-hmm. Like what is the outcome of that if black people what have more money? What do you mean, do you mean symbolic currency? What do you mean? So, you know, not as, so, okay, symbolic currency is like, Malcolm X talks talked a bit about symbolism versus substance. And so when you get like, I think he criticized, he might have criticized some of Martin Luther King's work mm-hmm. because he felt like we were getting some sort of symbol of a law passed, but it was like, you know, what was the actual effect? If people can continue to kick anyone out of their restaurant for any reason, you know, uh, and that that's what ended up happening, right? Like, you're not allowed to discriminate according to race, yet you can also kick anyone out of your restaurant for any reason, even if it's racist, but you can call it something else. Mm-hmm. And so you end up getting kind of these, like, it's like, would you rather have a law passed in your name that does not really address the, the issues, or would you rather have, like, just a, you know, a, a bunch of more money mm-hmm. that you can use to, like, uh, you know, pursue a, a particular agenda. Anyway. Well, it's it's interesting, right? Because I, I wrote something about this about Corona and what you're talking about the symbolism thing, and this is what ends up happening is that they were talking about. Um, I forgot the theory that it was called, but it's basically you you go through um, some type of emotional exhaustion when you start hearing these numbers happening about the amount of people that are dying for coronavirus. The number gets so high that you just lose this interest. You get numb to it, right? Sure, sure, and, sure. and there's a terminology for it. I forgot what it was because I wrote about this. But but the study goes, you get more money if you're, having, if you're asking for donations. You get more money having like a picture of one girl starving in some third world country as opposed to showing a group of people starving. Because somehow, some way in the in the mind of people, if you show a picture of that one girl, you relate more to that. Because that's the symbolism. That's where the symbolism come in. It's right. I can help her. But when you see all those people, you're just like, I'm sorry, I've got other mouths to feed. I can't help all this shit. There's too many people here. I mean, because if you look at Gordon Parks, there was a story called Flavio. Are you familiar with Flavio? No. It's it's a it's, it's a cool thing to look into. So like Gordon Parks went to Brazil in the 50s and. There was this kid. Wait, who is Gordon Parks? Gordon Parks is uh, that book right there. It's one of the, the greatest photographers of all time. Black photographer, first gorilla publicity. No, 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 right here, right here. I'm sorry. Okay, Gordon Parks, half past autumn. Yeah. You knock my shit down. Stop touching me. This is a museum. I can't touch anything. Ah, knock down my African chess set. You gonna, you gonna, dog? You can pull the book out. Hey, be careful. You got a beer in your hand. Don't spill. Just leave my chest set alone. I got it. As Juan knocks my shit up, we gonna have to end this podcast. He fucking my shit up. Look, and he dropped his phone in the middle of all this stuff. That good dude. But um, but Flavio's a story in the 1950s. He was a photographer for Life magazine, and it's and Flavio was this little kid that um that was in Brazil, 
And hold on, hold on. Go to the beginning again. Beginning of the book again. Look at that. You got a signature here from Flavio. It's from Gordon Parks. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Gordon Parks. Yeah, be careful with that. He died in 2004. So I'm very I'm gonna put I'm it very back down. That. So so Flavio was this kid in Brazil whose uh parents had died and he's living in these these favelas. That's him. That's him. Um he was living in these favelas and yep, that's the Flavio story. That's a lot of the Flavio stuff. And just extreme, extreme poverty. And when he took pictures of it, um, when Gordon took pictures of Flavio, yeah, when Gordon took pictures of it, Life Magazine was just like, we have to, we have to send money to save this kid, you know. And that was kind of the same objective of there was probably poverty and things like that going on in Brazil at the time, absolutely. But when the American public began to, you know, identify with one one person, that's where the money came from. That if you would have done a feature on a group of people experiencing that, it wouldn't have hit the same way. So that, so ironically enough, if Malcolm was against the symbolism aspect of it, he became one, right? Right. Like Martin became a symbol. Malcolm became a symbol. Che Guevara right. was the symbol. It's like they become those people that, that as opposed to looking at uh, a group of people during a movement, these names are kind of plucked out to represent something. Well, it's interesting. That's all, It kind of makes me think of the house negro right mm-hmm. kind of like the token like we take on a few and that that calms down well i don't i and we talked about this earlier is that there's a difference between being one of the few black people in the room and being a token i don't i would never call malcolm a token because I, just because he's one of the few people that's brought up when we're talking about the civil rights movement i don't think he's a token because <laughs> i don't think i don't think he had to adjust himself to become who he was right mm-hmm. like you become a token because you change who you are to be in a room. I mean, Malcolm having a platform to me. Okay, there's a few things. This is you might not like me saying this, but like for instance, Malcolm having a platform, Muhammad Ali having a platform, um, even James Brown having a platform in American society is a sign of how good it could be. What do you mean? Like that our American system could allow for a certain amount of these black men being, you know so powerful within our society like i don't like to uh say things to the credit of the american system but i have to say like when somebody like muhammad ali is exonerated in the highest court of the land that does mean something and it it it, it, it's more so uh means something i mean muhammad ali is the for instance you know I think of him as one of the originators of hip hop, right? Like Muhammad Ali, maybe like Muhammad Ali and like James Brown together are definitely some of the f- like people who created some of the attitude well, that, yeah, that 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 is created of. But anyways, here's my my point is, mm-hmm. and that might be like um, a moot point for you. But but my point is is that you know Muhammad Ali being exonerated in the highest court of the land means that something's happening. Uh, something is right. And I think they were afraid of him. No, I think I, he was the kind of guy that could say the revolution begins tomorrow and a lot of people would have actually like gone well, for it. I, I don't I don't I don't think that's the case because he's he's not the trend. It's like the conversation we was having about Obama is that you realize that Trump is not the fluke, Obama's the fluke. Where somebody like Ali being exonerated, you look at a few things and, and me studying Ali and studying boxing the way I did is that number one Ali lost three or four years of his prime career because of the politics. Yeah, because of the politics, and 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 
I mean, he lost out in the end. He sacrificed. Well, well, but this, but this, but there's a few things that happen with it, and that's why when when you say exonerated, I don't think that's the same as as him being quote unquote not going to prison because but, he was broke because they yeah, came after exactly, him for that's taxes. The point that I'm saying, and the only way that he could have fought that is because he was who he was. Imagine if those were the same type of racist things happening to somebody that didn't have the budget, that well, didn't have the money, and that happened all the time. Yeah, that happened all the I mean, time. And and, he was and, he was an exception to and, the rule, and it happened to Joe Lewis. Joe Lewis died penniless because, and he went into the military and they killed him on that shit like they he was penniless when he died and so i say the same thing with ali was ali fought longer than he should have because of that ali fought much much longer because he had to make up for lost time and, and, and same thing happened to joe lewis like when they talk about on on um on uh coming to america it was like rocky Marciano fucked up joe lewis that's what happened was that he went into world war ii trying to help his country and and you know joe lewis would have been considered a second class citizen in any other situation but when we were fighting nazi germany they put him against this german fighter and all of a sudden he became the voice of the people and he believed when we talk about whiteness that was a white moment for him yeah and he believed that my country is behind me well so right. he so so after that fighting with schmeling his shelling his schmeling fights he goes into world war ii he helps out his country and they 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 fuck his taxes up. They do all this type of stuff or whatever, and he comes back to no money. His money is fucked up, and he fights and fights and fights longer than he should have. And Joe Lewis is almost forty years old. Rocky Marciano is a twenty something year old guy and fucks him. Fucks up. him up. I'm and, sorry. And, and I say when I talk about Ali, I feel bad about it because Ali had long term effects after that. And I felt some kind of way with Ali after he had his Parkinson like syndrome from taking all these fucking hits is that all of a sudden it felt like he's been putting on this pedestal with white America because it felt like it was kind of making fun of him. It's like, I was like, Oh, okay. Here's what happens when you're this loud and this brash. Okay. We'll put you out there now. We'll put call you, you the out greatest. there longer than. Yeah. Oh, right. So we're still calling you the greatest, but at the moment we're calling you the greatest. You've just been like, yeah, because I felt hardest. like that's when they parade you around. That's when that's they when gave the, him and the, that's, the torch for the 96 Olympics and he's shaking. I felt they were fucking with him. You Almost, know? maybe you could maybe even see that as like kind of how preach. What I do? <laughs> I'm sorry. I just thought of an. <laughs> okay, oh, I just boy. had a brain fart. I'm sorry. You might have to edit that. How about preach? No, we're leaving it. I, no, 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 no. I was. I was <laughs> this is crazy. I was about to say Trump, but the way that Trump uh, kind of pr- maybe you could see like after Kanye went to the mental institution and then Trump brings him out almost like parading him around well, like I, yeah, yeah look check us out like we got this guy now well the funny thing about the funny thing about the, the Kanye and Trump shit and I talked about this one on other Weezy. podcast well I think the Weezy thing is a little bit different because I feel like Kanye has been beating that drum for, for Trump for a while and think about it like this when Trump got inaugurated they had nobody to perform at that inauguration they had to get. Like, I remember you said this on a podcast. Yeah, they had why to get didn't Kanye kids. perform? Yeah, because I think that why didn't even, Kanye perform? Because I think even in their most, you know, cynical way of wanting to get that black kind of support, proves the racism. Well, I think I think they're aware that he's not stable. So in their mind, they're basically okay, like, look, maybe they're like, look, yo, as much as we because they don't to want him to just say whatever. Yeah, because he he could he could be up. He, I mean, I wouldn't honestly. I wouldn't put it past Kanye to be performing for Trump and mm-hmm. and shout out to Biden, <laughs> just just to be contrary. Oh, just, oh, just say some just crazy, to be contrary. Oh, just say some crazy shit. So so that part just of to me sell more records. That part of me, if I'm Kanye, one of the biggest greatest artists in the world, statistically and, and economically, if I endorse Trump, who doesn't have any black endorsements, and you still don't have me, a part of whatever platforms you're doing. 
I would feel some kind of way. I would. You, I you would. And, I would and, be and, out. And, that's, and that to me is why I thought it was hilarious. Because even Candace Owens said this shit where I don't agree with anything that she says. But when they had the RNC speeches, Candace was just like, the motherfucker should have had me. And that's, I agree with her. Right. Yeah. No. And I agree with her. So I'm like, so I'm like, if the moment that you're supposed to have these people that have been beating your drum. I mean, here's the thing. If they did have Candace Owen, honestly, even though I don't like Candace Owen, mm. I would have been like, hey. But that made, that's, but that's something but that that's, would be. But that's what I'm saying is that that makes sense. That proves if, if you're if you guys are needing you're so black racist, support, you can't even like you can't even take the the real black support that you do have. Well, I think that's I think they're acknowledging that those people that supporting them are just as unstable as 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 anything else. I definitely think Candace Owen it just wants attention. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you 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 know if whoever's paying the bills, like you will uh you know you will mold your your thoughts toward that viewpoint. I mean, 10, you know, nine times out of 10, it takes a very strong, strong-willed individual to simply live by principle, even against the paycheck. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think Candace Owen is that person. Well, we done did a, a, a I know this is hour really 15. Long. Yeah, 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 yeah. We need to stop. All right, all right. Uh, anything on uh, social media people can find you and all that good stuff? Okay, you can find me at Juan... J-U-A-N underscore holiday H-O-L-L-A-D-A-Y mm-hmm. on Instagram and and you know just the Google Juan Holiday or um, the Secret B sides. Actually, don't Google the Secret B sides. Just Google Juan Holiday. You're right. so bad at this. Um, I'm actually glad that you came here because like we did pretty much an hour and some change. We didn't talk much about the election, which I kind of wanted not to talk about it in the first place. So thank you for helping me out. It's like you know what happened to me last yeah, night. Yeah, I'm glad I saved your next podcast. <laughs> thank you. It was funny because it was funny because um my 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 brother was like you know I want to get you out the house. I know you're stressed about this shit. Am I your brother? You're my brother. My other brother. But Do I mean? get to be in the be in the black Air Force? <laughs> Yeah, come I to do? the next. One. Yeah, come to the black air force. That doesn't mean I get to say the n word. I understand. I mean, you brown enough. You browner than me. You probably get away with it. But no, look, but J Lo can't get away with it. I can't get away oh, with J-Lo it. Oh, J Lo said this. For, said that shit for years. But she like big, always big, gets big trouble. Pun used to say it. Fat Joe says it. I don't want to. I only. You know what? I will say it when I'm rapping along. To a Kanye song. Listen to, to some you. other song. Yeah. All right. Whatever. Stop. Even a preach song. Preach. It's, it's your fault that this, that word fault. comes out of All my right. mouth. Okay. <laughs> I was telling a story, but I guess I'm going to give up. Yo, this is the Negro League Podcast. Y'all, if y'all listen to this podcast, y'all know how to catch me. No, the story's not good. Um, I wrote about it. They'll read it soon. I love y'all. Negro League Podcast. Peace.